just lift up each mother in this room. And we pray that today that you would just bless them. They would just have a restful day, Lord, and they would know what a, how treasured they are, Lord, in your sight. We pray you just pour out your spirit on them today. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. By the way, afterwards, guys, um, there will be a rose out there for each of you mothers um, as you leave. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so last weekend, you may have noticed my absence. Um, we were at the men's retreat, and man, it was so much fun. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope to see you guys there next year. We went paintballing, had a bunch of great games, there was some great teaching. It was just such a good time of fellowship. Wasn't it, Austin? I shot Austin up a few times with the paintball gun, by the way, so that was, um, that was just a little perk in the head. Well, he came creeping through the bushes trying to get me. What do you expect? Yeah, it was just a great time. So really encourage you guys, try to, um, next year when that comes around, just think about going to that. Um, a few things to know in your bulletins this morning. Um, this Tuesday, we're going to do, be doing the, um, the food bagging for the homeless. If you need more information about that, if that's something you're interested, make sure and grab Jen. She has all the information on that. And then this Saturday... May 18th at 11 a.m., we're going to have Jerry Hymns Memorial right here at church. So if you would like to come to that, please, um, please do. And there will be reception following the service. Next Sunday, and this is for the youth, so you, um, I don't want to see any of you guys showing up for pizza, but bring your kids. Um, we're just going to have a little pizza and games afternoon. Um, just a good time for the kids to hang out and um, spend some time together outside of church. So I'd encourage you guys to try to get your kids here for that. And then um, two more things. On Thursdays and Friday mornings, um, we need a couple more people to help with the cleaning. If you, um, maybe you don't feel called to teach Sunday school and you can't sing and you don't want to be in front of people, there are other things that you can do to bless the body, and that's one of them. We need some help with cleaning the church. And then lastly, for the last, though, I don't know, two or three months, we've been gathering probably five, six, eight of us on Saturday nights right in the espresso room at 7 o'clock for prayer. And we pray for our missionaries. We pray for the children's ministry. We pray for the pastors here. We pray for the church, for the community. And it's just a great time. So I'd really encourage you guys to try to make it out to that. You know, I'd like to see just, I'd like to see so many people we have to come in here to pray. But um, it's just a great time to gather together and just lift up the body. So I encourage you guys in that. That being said, go ahead and get your Bibles out. You can open them up to John 8 this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you as we open your word this morning. Lord, we just... We just pray for your presence, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit and your touch. We ask that as we open your word this morning, that you would meet us here. That each person here would just have an encounter with you. You would draw us close, Lord. We pray that in your name. Amen. So as you probably know, John chapter 8 comes right after. Belinda, you are, you're my girl today. 
right after John chapter 7. And, and John chapter 7, a lot of it is dealing with, um, with this Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And you may remember that this Feast of Tabernacles, it was a holiday that the Jewish people had to celebrate that time when they were set free from their bondage in Egypt. And they were on their way to, to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And you remember that while, or, while they were there out in the wilderness, they, um, they had some trials and some tribulations and some hard times. And one of the things that the Lord did to provide for his people during that 40-year period is every single night there was a, a, a pillar of fire that shone down from heaven directly above, above the tabernacle. So right where the people would gather to worship, there's this, this pillar of fire falling down every single night. And when, when the pillar of fire began to move, the people packed up their tents, they broke down the tabernacle, and they moved with it. And when the pillar of fire came to rest, they'd unpack the tabernacle and set it back up. And they would camp out there until the Lord showed them when to move again. So fast forward 13, 1400 years, as we're here at the, the Feast of Tabernacles, that, that's what it's about, commemorating that exodus. And so during this feast, they have these four giant candelabras in the temple. And they're basically, they're, they're giant torches. They're approximately 75 feet tall, and each one of these, these candelabras, each one of these menorahs has four arms with four big bowls on it. And so on the first day of the feast, they would go up and they would fill these bowls up and they would light them on fire. And so there's these 16 big blazing torches. And it was said that, that these lights could be seen throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. And you could probably imagine that. And Jerusalem wasn't a huge city at this time. And the temple, it's already elevated. Right? It's already built on a hilltop. And then, then there's these torches blazing on top of that. It would have been visible for miles and miles and miles. And so it was on the first day of, of, of Sukkah, on the Feast of Booths, that they were lit. And they burned throughout this ceremony. And, 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 and the ceremony where they actually lit them, it was called the Illumination of the Temple. It's not super creative, is it? And, and maybe, maybe it rhymed in Hebrew or something. I don't know. Maybe it sounded better. But so they had this illumination of the temple. And on the eighth day, when the feast was over, they went out. And so that's where we pick up the text here. The, the torches are out. It's the eighth day. They're probably still smoking a little bit. And, and we know from verse 20 and from verse 59 that Jesus is still here in the temple as he begins to teach. And so we pick up the text in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. He says, I am the light of the world. How many times have we heard this verse? How many times have we read this verse? How many times have we even sung this verse, right? 
but sometimes I, I think we miss sort of the cultural and historical significance. And it makes a big difference here. Right? Jesus, you know, we just read that he's in the temple on the last day of the feast, saying that. But when we understand that he's probably standing in front of these four huge torches that were casting light throughout the whole city, and they've probably just gone out. And he proclaims at that point, I am the light of the world. Looking at these other lights that have been extinguished. And he says, if you want real light, it's me. And you kind of imagine the situation. Remember when you were a kid? Some of you guys, it was a long time ago, so it's really going to tax you a little bit. But <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> Remember when Christmas was coming? And the weeks leading up to Christmas, there was so much anticipation and so much excitement, wondering what was under the tree there. And finally, Christmas morning, you're up at 2.30 in the morning, knocking on your mom's door. And finally, finally it comes time and you get to, get to open the gifts. And it's so exciting. But almost as soon as it's over, right? As soon as that last gift is open, all of a sudden, it's just kind of, you just, you just deflate a little bit. All that excitement's gone. You have to wait till next year. And I think that's probably kind of the general feeling here, right? They just had this week-long celebration, this, this big holiday, and it's over. And there was still something sort of missing. They still had this, this kind of void in their lives. The torches are out. There's nothing but a little smoke left. And then Jesus stands up and proclaims, I am the light of the world. If you want to walk in light instead of darkness, he says, follow me. And I will give you the light of life. And just so we're clear here, Jesus is talking about way more than having a really good flashlight, right? In Exodus, that pillar of fire, that represented God to the people. It guided the people and it directed the people. And, and, and Jesus here, he's saying, look, that light that you guys are celebrating in these torches, commemorating that time out there in the wilderness, that was me. He says, I, 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 was, I was that light. I'm the one that, that led you and, and guided you through the wilderness. He says, I am the true light of the world. If you want to escape the, the darkness of the world, Follow me, he says, and you will find life. You want to find something that will last, Jesus asks. You want to find something that will drive out the darkness in your life. He says, it's me. I am the light of life. And, and look what he says there. He says, you will have the light of life. So what is that connection between light and life? Remember in John chapter 1, verse 4, John says, In him was life. And what does he say? That life was the light of men. That's right. It's the life, John says, that gives light. The life that Jesus has. And the life that he shares with those who follow him gives them light. And, and, and that's... That's you and me, that's us, that's humanity he's talking about. 
that we were, we, were, we were dead and we were blind to the light until Jesus imparted that light to us by the Holy Spirit. And then we were able to see. Right? Then our, 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 our spiritual eyes were opened. And, and God's Spirit poured into us. And I think that's what he's talking about here with the light of life. That light that comes when we, when we, when we come to Christ. When he gives light to the, to the darkness of our souls. And so as Jesus says this in verse 13, the Jews understood exactly what Jesus is saying. The leaders got the point that Jesus was making about, about the pillar of, of fire in the wilderness. They got what Jesus was saying about his own pre-existence and his own divinity. And they say in verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. So your testimony is not true. Essentially, they're saying this. They say, look, you're making these grandiose claims that you're God. You're making these huge claims that, that you existed before, before you do now. But they said, but these claims, it's just you saying it. And just because you say it doesn't make it so. Right? Basically, their argument's this. You could say that you're Batman. But unless you show up with Alfred and Robin in the Batmobile, right, you're just going to be Bruce Wayne to us. We, we need some evidence. We need witnesses. Right? And we know that, that under Jewish law, in order for something to be true, there had to be the testimony of two witnesses. And so in verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. So Jesus says, look, even if it were just me bearing witness about myself, my testimony is true. He says, because I know my origins. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going back to. I came from heaven, and I'm going back soon, so you can believe what I'm saying. You can, you can take my word to the bank. And he goes on in verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So this is a little bit confusing, I think. Jesus says, I judge no one. But we have all these other verses talking about Jesus being the judge. Right? So how does that work out? I think that timeline is important. I think understanding the sequence of events is important. Look at John chapter 3, verse 17. John writes, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, 
And the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So Jesus here, remember he's talking to Nicodemus here, and he says, look, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn. Jesus came to save. But those who refuse to believe are condemned already. They condemn themselves because they love the darkness more than the light. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus didn't come to judge but to save. But eventually, he will judge those who refuse to believe. He says here in verse 15, you guys pass judgment, but it's just a natural judgment. He says, I judge no one now. But even if I do judge, I judge correctly. Because it's not me. It's me and my Father who sent me. And then he says, the law says there needs to be two witnesses. So there you have it. It's me and my Father. I bore witness, and the Father bears witness about me also. So verse 19, they say to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. So Jesus says this thing about how his Father bears witness of him. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, they say, oh yeah? Your dad bears witness of you too? Where's he at? Roll him on out here. Let's talk to Pops. And I think that there's a little more going on, on the surf than, than we see on the surface. I, that there's kind of some background stuff, right? I think that as Jesus came to this position of, of prominence, as he sort of rose in popularity a little bit, he, he began to become a threat to them. And so I imagine they probably investigated a little bit concerning who he was. And they may have known something of, of Jesus' birth. They may have known something of, of Mary's claims to virginity when she had Jesus. And I don't think that they believed it, but they were aware of the claims. And I think to them, she was probably just another unwed teenage mom when Jesus was born. And I, I've heard that it was rumored among some of the Jewish leaders that, that Mary got pregnant from a Roman soldier. And so those are kind of the things that were going on in, the, in their mind. And so Jesus' birth, his lineage, it, it, was, it was scandalous. And so as they bring up Jesus' His lineage, I think that they're hoping to shame him into silence. But of course, we know the truth. We, we, we know what really happened. We know that, that Jesus was born of a virgin, but they didn't believe. Right? So here in this verse, I think they were attempting to, to discredit Jesus' message by shaming his lineage. Right? They say, you mentioned your father. Why don't Go ahead and tell us about that, Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and tell us who your daddy really is? And Jesus says, you want to know what? You're missing what's really important here. You don't know who I really am, and you don't know who my father really is. If you really knew me, you would know the father also. And that's, that's something that Jesus says fairly often. He says it in John 14, 7. He says it in Matthew eleven twenty seven and John 16, 3, this idea, if, if you knew me, you would knew, know the Father. And if you knew the Father, you would know me as well. But Jesus says, look, you don't know him, you don't know me, you don't, you don't know any of us. You don't, you're, you're spiritually blind. 
And he spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So we see here that Jesus is right here in the temple when he's speaking. Right here in the midst of these, these people who wanted to put him to death. He's right here in the middle of these people who had sent guards out to arrest him. But they were, they were powerless. They were impotent to do anything to Jesus. Because it says his time had not yet come. And we see this idea a few different places in the gospel message, don't we? Right, how, how the people rise up to get him, but they can't do anything because it's not his time. Remember one time they come to get him, and they want to throw him over a cliff, and he just sort of blends into the crowd. Right, another time they send the guards to arrest him. And the guards come back and said, nobody ever taught like him. We didn't, we didn't know what to do. We couldn't arrest him. The point is, they were powerless to do anything to Jesus because his time had not yet come. It was the divine will and divine timing that led Jesus Christ to the cross. Right? Jesus came to die for our sins, but at an appointed time, and in an appointed way. And it's important to understand that. That there's God's will, but there's also God's timing. It's possible for something to be God's will, but not be his timing yet. It was the will of the Father for Jesus to go to the cross, but it wasn't the time for Jesus to go yet. And I think we see that sometimes in our own lives, don't we? The Lord will reveal something to us. He'll reveal his will to us. We'll say, ooh, let's go, let's do it. The Lord says, ooh, I didn't tell you it was time to go yet. I just said this is what we're going to do in the future. And sometimes we, we try to get ahead of what the Lord wants to do. Sometimes he'll reveal what he wants us to do, but then he has to prepare us to do it. The Lord has to prepare the circumstances and he has to prepare us. And we see that in, in, in the lives of of a number of people in Scripture, don't we? I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember, he has these dreams how, how his brothers and his mom and dad are going to bow down to him. And remember, his, his brothers mock him. And eventually they, they throw him into a pit, and they're going to murder him. And then the nice brother says, no, let's just sell him into slavery instead. Remember, he goes off to Egypt, where he ends up being a slave. And then he ends up being in prison. And all this terrible stuff happens. But we see, remember what he says, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. And we see how the Lord was using all those circumstances to prepare Joseph so that he could fulfill his will in Joseph's life. And we saw the same thing in the Apostle Paul. Remember Apostle Paul, he's, he's on the road to Damascus. He's off to persecute believers. And remember, when the Lord appears to him and he gives his life to the Lord, what happens? He disappears for three years. He goes off to Arabia to spend time with the Lord. See, the Lord called him to this ministry, but then he had to go prepare himself for that ministry. Sometimes there's a, a lag of time when the Lord reveals his will, and then he has you do it. So we need to understand the Lord's will and the Lord's timing. So he said to them again, verse 21, 
I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So we're starting to get into sort of the meat of the passage here. Jesus says, look, guys, here I am right now. I'm in your presence, but I'll be leaving soon. And you're going to look for me, and I won't be here. And you're going to die in your sin. And, and several commentators note at this point that he doesn't mention, later on he says you're going to, he talks about being judged for your sins, plural. But here he uses this word in the singular sense, sin. And, and the thought is that Jesus isn't talking about all of their sins at this point. But he's talking about one sin in particular, the sin of unbelief. Jesus is here sharing the truth with them. And at every turn, they're opposing him and doubting him, and, and, and they're filled with unbelief. And Jesus says, you're going to be judged for that sin of unbelief, and you'll be damned for that. And he says, I'm leaving, and you can't go where I'm going. And so verse 22, the Jews say to him, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. That's an odd response, isn't it? From the religious leaders there. It, it seems a little bit random to me. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come. And I'm not sure exactly how they came to this conclusion. But in those days, and in some church traditions today even, they believe that, that suicide was an unforgivable sin. And, and the Bible never teaches that anywhere. And it's a sin to be sure. It isn't honoring the Lord to take a life that isn't yours to take. I think it's a lack of faith in his sovereignty. But there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that, that the blood of Jesus can't cover that sin. But when we come to Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. We're justified. And I guess it's possible for a believer to get to such a low point in their life through circumstances or maybe through mental illness that they take their own life. And, and that doesn't mean that they weren't saved. But anyway, back to this text here. I think that Jesus says, look, where I am going, you guys can't come. We're, we're going to different eternal destinations. And I think they just assumed that if they were going to a different eternal destination than Jesus, that must mean Jesus is going to hell because they were pretty sure that they were going to heaven. So Jesus says to them in verse 23, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus corrects their thinking here. Again, he says, look, I am from above. I am the pre-existent one. You guys are from below. You're from here. You're, you're of this world, and I'm not. And you can imagine how the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, their feathers would have been a little ruffled at this point, right? Jesus is telling them how he just came down from heaven, claiming that he wasn't from this world. And Jesus says, look, you'll be judged of your sins, plural this time. You're going to be judged for the things that you've done. Unless you believe in me, Jesus says you will die in your sins. If 
you leave this world without Jesus, if you leave this world without coming to Christ, there's no hope of salvation. And you hear sometimes people talk about the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. That's what it is here. It's ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit and rejecting Jesus. So they say to him, verse 25, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus says to them, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so in verse 25, they say, okay, who are you? And I wonder if Jesus just shook his head a little bit at this point. He's been telling them over and over and over again who he is. And they ask again, well, who are you, Jesus? And he says, look, I've been telling you guys the whole time. I've been telling you from the very beginning. And in verse 26, he says, I have, I have much to say about you. I have much to judge because he who sent me is true. And he says, look, I'm telling all of you guys. I'm telling the, the whole world, in fact, that the things that I have heard are from the Father. But they still didn't get, it says, that he was talking about God the Father. They, they weren't able to make that connection, even though Jesus kept saying it over and over and over again. Because even though the light of the world was in front of them, they still had this, this spiritual blindness. So Jesus said to them, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus says, look, after you've lifted up the Son of Man, after you've crucified me, then you're going to know who I am. And I think he was maybe speaking of, of all the evidences that happened after Jesus died, when the sky turned black and there was the earthquake and, and the veil was torn in two and the dead rose and all these things. He says, and then you're going to know who I am. Then you'll know that all of the things that I've been saying and doing are true that I didn't do any of those things on my own authority, that I did them because the Father told me to. And then he says this, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? I always do the things that are pleasing to God. I mean, that's, that's, that's an audacious claim. Who else in, in all of history can claim what Jesus just claimed right here, honestly, that they always do the things that are pleasing to God. No one, right? Jesus is the only one in all of history who could ever claim that. Paul writes that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus alone can claim to always have done the will of the Father. He alone is the perfect, sinless one. In verse 30, as he was saying these things, Many believed in him. 
as Jesus was talking, as he's sharing, something that he said rang true to many of the people. As, as, as the crowds were gathered there in the temple, as they're listening to, to the words of Jesus and they're hearing the, the hollow arguments of the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and that's always how it is, by the way. The truth of the gospel message is, is presented to unbelievers. Whether it's them randomly picking up a Bible or, or someone invites them to church or, or, or they find a, a track in a phone booth or a restaurant or somebody tells them about Jesus. The people come face to face with the truth of who Jesus is. People come face to face with the light of the world and they're forced to make a decision. Do they believe what he said or they do they deny what he said? And Jesus phrased it like this. He says, do you love the darkness more than you love the light? Do you love sin more than you love the Savior? And I think that's the question that he asks all of us. Do you love the darkness more than the light? What do you love more? Do you love Jesus or do you love doing what you want to do? I would encourage you to choose Jesus, to choose the light. I want to add something else here as we close. Something interesting that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. And he's got the disciples gathered around him. And he's talking to us. He's talking to the church. And he says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it will give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says this, we all have the light of Christ within us now as believers. He says, look, don't keep it hidden. Shine. Jesus says to be a light to the lost. Bring hope to the darkness. And I hope that, that that's a challenge to us. I hope that's a challenge to every one of us here who are believers. All of us who have that light within us. All of us who have the light of life residing within us. Jesus says, shine. Shine like the sun. Shine for the whole world to see. Let your light so shine before others that the whole world can see and glorify God. So here's the challenge, guys, as we close this morning. I challenge you to be intentional in shining. Be intentional in sharing Jesus. And in fact, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say, stop for a second and just close your eyes and ask the Lord to bring two or three people to mind that you can pray for, that you can share your faith with. Do you have those people in your mind? Take a pen and write them down. Write their names down and pray for them. Look for opportunities to speak light and life and truth into their lives. And you know what? If, you're, if you can't do that, if you're too nervous, at least take one of our little cards here. Pass them out. Invite them to church. But do something, guys. Do something to let your light shine before men.
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And because I am the light of the world and I reside in you, you go out and be lights in the world. Reflect me to this lost and dying world. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just, we ask that you would help us to do that, Lord. We ask that you would help us to be light shining in the darkness. We pray that you would help us to reflect you and your love and your goodness, Lord. We pray that you would help us just to speak, speak life into people's lives. We pray that in your name, Jesus.